Well, hey, Happy New Year, Coastal. How's everybody doing in 2016? That was good. Hey, we're excited that you guys are here to join us for Coastal's first Sunday of the new year. And uh, my name is Steve. I'm the campus pastor here at, at Creek. And it's an honor for me when, uh, when I get asked by TJ to, to preach the first message for Coastal's year in 2016. So, um, so I'm excited to be here. And because it's like, you know, New Year's was just a couple days away, we're actually gonna, we're gonna begin this new year talking about first things first because there are some things that should be first in our lives. But I wanna start just by asking uh, just a, a couple questions. And so, so how would you, if you think about 2015, how would you rate or rank this year for yourself spiritually? Would you say that, that this year was, was a spiritually apathetic year for you? Was it, was it sort of a spiritually inconsistent year? Or maybe you could say, well, you know what, this was a great year spiritually. This was a spiritually consumed year for me. How would you rank yourself? You can kind of check that box in your head or even on your worship notes. Just kind of where were you spiritually in 2015? And now I want to ask, if, if you look back over this past year, how many of you would say, okay, now that 2015 is over and I can sort of sit and, and take a look back at that last year, how many of you would say that, that you know what, I am I'm not sad at all? that 2015 is done. How many of you would say like, hey man, I'm glad 2015 is over? Yeah, a couple of people raising their hands, more than a couple. Um, now on the flip side of that, how many of you looking back at 2015 might be looking saying, you know what, like, man, 2015 was a great year. That was one of the, that was one of the best years. That was, a, that was a great year as I look back on it. Who would say 2015 was a, a good year? Yeah? Okay, isn't that really interesting that in a room full of people that, that in some way, shape, or form believe in God and, and believe in the Bible, and, and, and most of us at least are there on some level, and, and most of us are involved in church in some way, considering you're here this morning, I think it's safe to say that. In a room that has people that, that are all kind of heading in the same direction, we still have completely different experiences of what this last year has been about. And do you guys know those people that, that you look at them and you look at their life and you look at the way they respond to things and you think, man, they just kind of live this, this God-breathed life. Like, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in their life and around them, they just sort of seem to be at peace with everything, even through the challenges and, and all the things that are, that are going on in their life, it just never really seems to phase them. And then, and then some of us, we've got this, this different experience where it seems like our life is just kind of one series of like, you know, moving from this tragedy to, to the next drama, to the next conflict. And again, here we are all on some, ex to some extent, believing in the same God and, and, and reading the same Bible and, and showing up to worship. And yet, yet we all have such different experiences in life. We have a, a very different, what I would call Christian experience. And so today, what I'm going to submit to you is that, that there's something that's, that's really important when we talk about our Christian experience and, and why we see so many different ends of the spectrum in the way that we've experienced this last year. And I'm going I'm to submit that order is really important. Order, honestly, is everything. And so, 
So what do I mean by that? It, the way that we prioritize our world, the way that, that we prioritize our lives, the way that we, we order everything, it, it, it creates and, and it impacts all of our life experience. Any of you guys who are married, you can, you can understand what I'm saying when I say that order is, is really pretty important. So for example, let's just talk about something pretty simple. Loading the dishwasher. So how many of you guys, um, you know, when you load the dishwasher, there's those of you that just sort of grab whatever's in the sink and you just sort of slap it wherever in the dishwasher you want to put it, right? It doesn't matter where things are going. Like you're the type that even puts little cups on the bottom part, yeah. right? Come on, people. Where, what goes on the bottom of the dishwasher? Plates, right, big plates, pots, pans, like the casserole dish that you're trying to get clean. Little cups don't go down there. Those of you guys that just like willy-nilly grab stuff and throw it in there wherever, I really believe that God simply tolerates you, okay? Because <laughs> there's just something wrong with that. Now, what about grocery shopping? So, so grocery shopping, um, some of us, when we go grocery shopping, we, we don't use a list. And, um, you know... I, I do most of the grocery shopping in my family. My, my wife, for some reason, Katie, she just hate, like, she's, the, the grocery store, like, creates anxiety. She's like, I do not like grocery shopping. So I don't mind it, so I go, but most of the time I don't go with a list, which she hates. She absolutely hates it. Why? Because when we go without a list, what do we do? Like, I make it my goal to hit every single square foot. Like I gotta squiggle through all the lanes, right? I gotta see if there's something there that I need. The problem is that when we go without a list, we start filling our cart with things that we don't need in our pantry. But we fill it with things that we want in our stomach, right? And it never fails. I go grocery shopping when I'm starving. So I get home and like I was supposed to go, I should have come home with like two bags of stuff that we needed and I've got like a car full. I'm making like trip after trip into the house. My wife's like, what did you get? I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, just stuff that looked tasty. Um, it's, it's not a great approach to shopping because then there's, there's those of you that have like the blueprint of the grocery store in your phone, right? And you know the quickest way to get the, the, only the items you need, right? You've got this list, you got, all right, I've got these things, and I know exactly where they are on the store. Now I'm plotting out my path so that I use the most efficient number of steps to get my stuff and then get back into the line and get out of there. That's a sickness. Like I, dishwasher, I'm, like I got some, some standards, grocery store lists are just annoying. But so as we sort of, you know, we stay on the topic, though, I talked about married people kind of understand some of this stuff. I'm going to tread lightly a little bit here, but there's an order in marriage, right? Isn't there? We know this. There's an order. So um, most of us know this, that, that men are, are um, they're kind of like microwaves, and women would be more like crockpots, right? It takes a little while longer to get the woman simmering a little bit. And so men, there's an order to things. And so you know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody gets where I'm going here. If you want a little loving later, you know, how do you, how do you load the dishwasher the right way? How, what, what do you do that turns the crock pot on? Right? There's an order even in marriage. All the ladies are like, amen, preach it, brother. Tell them to load the dishes right. Um, so what I'm saying this morning is that I believe that a life that God blesses, a life that, that is empowered by his spirit, 
is, is not just about what we offer to God, but it's about the order in which we offer it. So let me, let me say it this way, that, that w- if we want to live a life where God is, is moving in and among us and we really feel his spirit leading us and, and we experience and we can, we can see his blessings in our lives, then what we're going to have to do is, is not just say, okay, God, I'm going to give you a part of my life here, and, and then there's this other part that, that I want to give you also. It's not just giving this part and giving that part of life, but it's when we come to God and we say, I'm, I'm not just going to offer parts of my life, but I'm actually, I'm going to offer my, my life in an order that pleases you. So here's the truth. God must be first. He cannot not be first. I think my mom, the English teacher, would have hated that statement. He cannot not be first. When God is first, though, in every area of our lives, then the rest of our life will also be filled with order. When we put God first, our lives will be filled with order. If God's not first, then no other part of our life is in order. I would argue that that if we don't have our priorities with God right, then none of our life is in order. Order matters. Let's look at what Jesus himself said in the Gospel of Matthew. This is in chapter 6. These are the words of Christ. He says, he says, but seek, what does he say? Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. So seek first God. Today, we're going to look at four firsts. And so, and, and I really, with, with every bit of faith that, that I have in me, I truly believe that if we would apply these truths, these four firsts, then we're really gonna change the way that we experience God's presence in our lives and, and change the way that we experience God's spirit moving in our life. I believe that if we can make these changes and these four firsts, that 2016 isn't just gonna be a, a great year for us, but it's really going to radically change the rest of our lives. So if you're taking notes, the, the first first that we're gonna talk about is, is the first of our day. And so the first of our day, write this down if you're one that likes to take notes. The first of our day, we're going to seek God. And the first of the day, we're going to pursue a moment with our creator. Now, I don't want to be legalistic or ritualistic about this. I mean, if, if you wake up in the morning and you got to, you know, use the facilities, like by all means, nature's calling, take care of it. If you wake up and you got like that nasty breath, and you're like, I can't even concentrate on my Bible study, go ahead, brush your teeth. If you're like my wife, and you can't open your eyes more than 30% of the way without coffee, go ahead and make the coffee. But, but what I'm saying is that we need to decide that nothing significant in my day is going to happen before I spend time with my Savior. Nothing significant. So in the first of the day, I'm going to seek God. And we get this picture in Psalm 63, uh, verse 1. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Because see, time matters. It says, Early will I seek you. Time is, is a priority. Order matters here. So early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So when we look at the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Those are the four accounts of Jesus Christ. What we see is that we see all kinds of repeated behavior by Jesus. We see Jesus performing miracles. 
We see that happening multiple times. That's a repeated behavior that he, he performs miracles. We see that he's preaching to the multitudes. We see that he heals the sick. And so not only do we see these things, but, but we also see that God, or that Jesus regularly and consistently spends time getting away and spending time with the Father. He, he does this even in moments where there were still sick people that needed to be healed. Jesus understands that, that he needs to get away and have some time with the Father. Now, not only do we see that, that Jesus does this consistently, but we also kind of can see that he does it at a certain time. Um, look in the, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Scripture says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went, to off, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So before anybody was awake, before the sun rose, before the, the day had started, before his creation had even woke up, the Son of Man needed to get away to spend time with the Father in order to be empowered, in order to, to be filled himself with the power that, that comes from the Father. So, so we see that not only did Jesus consistently get away to spend time, we see when he consistently got away to spend time in the Word and in prayer. So if we can see that Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, uh, consistently got away to spend time with the Father, if we can see that he consistently got away to spend time in prayer, can we understand that, okay, well, if he did that, I can sit here now and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not God. I know that I'm not him. If he needed that, then I certainly need to do it as well. I know that I do. So when, when we talk about seeking him first, it, it doesn't mean that you can't pray on your lunch break. It doesn't mean that you can't read scripture in the afternoon or that you can't spend time in the word before you go to bed. All of that is fine, but there's something special about getting the first of your day that, that sets the tone for the rest of our day. So the order matters. There's something special about making sure that we're setting aside time before anything significant happens in our life to spend time with our creator. That's what we're gonna do at the first of the day is seek God. You know, while I was preparing for this message, I thought back to a time in my life and in my wife Katie's life where we were we were really struggling with some things. You know, we were, we were trying to start a family. And any of you guys that have ever been in that position, you're kind of like, you have your own plans, right? Hey, you know, we're going to get married and then we're going to have this many years and then we're going to do this. And when we're ready, then we're going to start a family and bang, we'll have a kid. Well, that's kind of how we approached it. And it didn't happen that way. And so we were struggling to start a family. And, and then we started going through like all of the, the fertility treatment stuff. And you know, some of that some of that medication that the, that the guys don't have to take, but that the ladies do, really messes them up. You can ask my wife about that. You can ask me about it, but I'm usually more sarcastic about how it messed her up. Um, but it really kind of, it messed with her. And so we had all these fertility decisions that we had to make. You know, and then, and then as that process went on, we started thinking about adoption and trying to figure out, like, there's so many different ways of, of going about adoption. And so in the midst of this struggle that we had of how are we going to start a family? Why isn't this working? Are we going to do this fertility treatment? Are we going to do this kind of adoption? We realized that one of the things that we had to do was that we needed to be in prayer together. 
And we made that decision. You know what? We're going to be in prayer together. And so we committed to saying, look, you know, we're going to spend our own individual time in the Word. You're going to be in the Word. I'm going to be in the Word. But we're definitely going to come together, and we're going to spend time together praying and seeking God. And I have to tell you, when I think back on that, even though that was a difficult period of time, that was, it was such an, a, a, like a growth time. It was a time that built our marriage when we sought God together in prayer. You know, helping us to navigate those difficult times and, and big decisions. And, and as Katie and I were, were sort of talking about that, as I was preparing for this, you know, I, I realized that, that w- one of the things that we struggle with now is, is being in prayer together on a daily basis. I, I don't know why, but, but even after 17 years of marriage, this is one of the most difficult things that, that I've experienced. I, I, it's an area where I've realized that I haven't led my family well, is that, you know, in, a, in the middle of a difficult time, it's like, hey, Katie, you know what, we need to be praying together. And she's like, yeah, absolutely, we totally do. And sometimes she's the one that suggests, hey, should we pray together? But we just, it's like there's, the reality is we've got, we've got a, a, an evil opponent Right? We've got the evil one that doesn't like marriages. And so, so that's probably one of the reasons that it's so hard to have that consistent time together. You know, having a, a marriage where, where the spouse's husband and wife are praying together, man, that is a threat to our spiritual enemy. But as I've been working through this message and I sort of was bouncing some things off of Katie and we were talking about it, you know, I, I decided, you know what, enough's enough. Like this, this is just not okay for us to say, yeah, you know, we're in the word, we do our Bible studies and then I pray and every now and then we pray together. We have decided, we talked about this and said, look, we're gonna make sure, we're gonna have to figure this new schedule out and say, we're getting up earlier, we're setting the alarm because we're not gonna start our day before we've had time to be in the word and before we've had time to hold hands and go to God and prayer together. That's what we're committing to, and that's, I think, what God really wants for us. So in the first of the day, what are we going to do? We're going to seek God. At the first of the week, this is, if you're doing the notes thing, here's, here it is. If, you, if first of the week, we're going to worship him. And, and we're not just going to worship. We're not just going to say, oh, I'm going to worship each week, but we're going to come together, and we're going to worship together. That, that means collectively and, and communally to come together and worship. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the Bible says, On the first day of the week, we, the church, came together to break bread. Here's a, a really shocking statistic. Um, not too long ago, a, a survey that was conducted of American churchgoers found that 48% of everybody who calls themselves a regular churchgoer, a regular church attender, actually attended church less than once a month. So this survey showed that that people who consider themselves to be regular church attenders showed up less than once a month. And some of you may be going, oh man, I'm I'm so glad that that, that's that's not a statistic that defines Coastal. But the reality is, even here at Coastal, we have uh, many of the people who come to Coastal that, that come like once or twice a month. There's something special about coming together on a very regular basis at the beginning of the week. And to, you know, to be honest with you guys, th- there's something very different about the church that we see in Acts and the church that we see in America today. You know, the church in Acts, the early church, they were devoted to one another. It actually says in the word that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. 
They were devoted to fellowship and to prayer. So when it talks about that they devoted themselves, the, the Bible goes on and it says that, that they ate together and that they met together with glad and, ser- and sincere hearts every day. It even talks about every day that they would meet, not once or twice a month. They got together like all the time, every day. The Bible says that they met together in the temple court, so it'd be like them coming to like their place of worship um, in corporate places. They came in corporate worship together. And then it also says they met from home to home, which wouldn't be much different than the way that we have connect groups. And we encourage everybody to get plugged in to our connect groups, which by the way, we'll be starting up. You'll be hearing stuff about that um, probably next week or so. You'll start to hear stuff about our connect groups. So they met house to house, but every day they met together. And as a result, scripture tells us that the Lord added to their number daily to those who were being saved. So daily people were being saved This was a group of people that were so devoted, they spent all of their free time. Like they got home from work and they're like, man, I can't wait to go to the temple courts. I can't wait to go over to my friend's house. I can't wait to be in worship. I can't wait to pray, to share uh, in, in a meal together. I can't wait to go hear the word preached. Why the drastic contrast between that church and Acts, the devoted and coming together, and then what we experience here in America, which is the kind of you know, I come when I can, I'm, I'm really busy, and there's, there's times that I just really can't make it, and I'm, I'm kind of tired and wiped out. Once or twice a month is all I can do. You know, what's the difference? I don't, I don't believe it was because those people in Acts and the early church were more holy than we were. I just think maybe they were a little bit more honest than we are about how much they needed to come together and worship and how much they needed to be in worship together, how much they needed each other. When I was pastoring a, a church in Ohio, there was a family that, that had been looking for a church for a while. And they had, they'd been a part of a really good church, but they'd moved away and it was just too long for them to keep driving back and forth like an hour to church. And so they'd been looking for a while. And they sort of, in a, through a weird series of circumstances that I'm sure looking back on it, God totally had his hand in. They found the church that I was pastoring through a connection that I had with the old church that they had gone to. And so, so they popped in on a Sunday and just immediately felt like they were home. And those are, those are their words, not mine. Just, oh, like this is, this is what we've been looking for. This is the place that, that we wanna come together and worship. And, and it didn't take long before, you know, they were plugging in on our volunteer teams. Um, their son actually was the same age as my son and, and they became like best buds, like running around causing havoc in the church um, and hanging out all the time. And, and then their teenage daughter actually accepted Christ after they started coming. And now, even though we're separated by over a thousand miles, you know, us being down here in Florida, they're still in Ohio, we're, we're tight. There's a relationship there. We actually were able to spend uh, some time with them this past week. They were vacationing in Siesta Key, and so, so we drove over to Siesta Key, and we met them, and, and we picked up just like, you know, even though it's been about six months, we picked up like it was yesterday. Like, we didn't skip a beat. You know, my boy played with their son all day long. I had the honor while we were there of baptizing um, their daughter in the Gulf of Mexico. And just to, to look back on, on them just searching and seeking and not finding a place and then, and then finally kind of getting connected and just totally plugging in. The reason that that relationship existed there, the reason that, that I, we were able just to pick up like, like nothing, like no time had gone by, is because of the relationship that we built together while we were worshiping together. 
You know, if I can, if I can be honest with you, we need to get better at needing each other. You know, church is not just this, this value add that you put onto your week if you've got time or, you know, if, if you can make it. Guys, your soul needs this. You need to be connecting in worship, doing exactly what you're doing today, coming and worshiping, spending time, you know, praying for other churches, spending time hearing God's word, but spending time building relationships with other people that are on this journey of faith as well. You know, it's not a suggestion. It's, we see in scripture that it's a priority that we come together. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So on the first of the day, Jesus is, is going to get my time because on the first of the day, I'm going to seek him. And then at the first of the week, we're going to worship God together. If you're taking notes, the first of the month, we're going to tithe. We're going to worship God with our tithe. Now, I said first of the month because most of us, if we're, you know, the statistics show most people budget monthly. So that's why if we're going to talk about tithe, we'll just talk about it kind of as a monthly expense. So look at what it says in Leviticus. I think this is so cool. I love this part of Leviticus. It says that a tithe, can you all say tithe? Tithe, right? We know we're talking about a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. And what is a tithe? It says it is what? It is holy to the Lord. So a tithe, which means a tenth, and it means the first tenth. It's, it doesn't mean that it's just a tenth of, of your income. It's the first tenth. That's a big designation to make. It's not just give a tenth, it's give the first tenth. Remember what I said, because God must be first. He cannot not be first. So when we put him first, the rest of our life is filled with order and provision and blessing. And not only is this tithe that we talk about, it's not just a tenth and it's not just the first tenth. Not only does it belong to God, that scripture says that it belongs to the Lord, but it goes the extra mile and it actually says that it is holy to God. That the tithe is holy to him. My son, um, Evan, is nine years old right now and when he was six, my, uh, my parents, uh, Nana and Papa came to visit us for Christmas. And my mom had, had kind of noticed that, that my son at six years old was, was just kind of at that age where he was starting to appreciate the value of money. He's starting to understand, oh, like things don't just appear. There's this money that buys stuff. And so she thought it'd be really fun just to give him a little gift of cash. And so she said, hey, I want to give him some of his own money. And so I want to give him a $10, like $10 bill. Would he like a $10 bill or would he like 10 ones? Which one would be more fun for him? And I'm like, oh. The 10 ones would be more fun for him, right? Like the 10 is cool because it's a 10, but to have 10 ones, that's what he would really like. And so she gave him 10 ones and she put it in an envelope. And so on Christmas morning, you know, Evan's opening up presents and he gets to the card, he opens up the envelope. And as he pulls the card out, like all these dollar bills spill out of the card. And he's just like, <gasps> like, you know, it's 10 bucks. But he's like, oh, he was rich, right? I mean, totally shocked that there's this money falling out. He's loaded. He can buy anything on the planet that his heart desires, right? At six years old, 10 bucks, you're like, man, I can do anything. And, and so he just keeps like, he keeps looking at it. You know, he's feeling it. He was sort of like, you know, he'd, he'd put it in a stack 
and then he'd take it out and he'd lay them and like, like lay them next to each other on the carpet, like on the ground, so see how far the $10 bills stretch out. You know, he's like, no, he wasn't doing that. I mean, he didn't get that far. Um, but so when he finished opening presents and we're kind of all done and then, you know, you're at that point as a parent where you're making sure you're not throwing dollar bills away with the wrapping paper and he's got his $10 and, and he wants to go upstairs and put it in his piggy banks. That's right. I said banks, plural. So, so he's got three piggy banks and, and he asks uh, his Nana, because it was kind of her idea. She really wanted to give it to him. He's like, hey, you know, you want to come up and I'll, I'm going to put all this in, in my piggy banks. And so she goes, she goes up to his room with him. And, and he's got these three banks. And so he has a, a tithing bank, a saving bank, and a spending bank. And so now, I mean, he was six. He needed a little bit of help with the math. And so my wife reminded him, hey, okay, Evan, remember that, that the first dollar goes into the tithing piggy bank. And for a second, he was kind of like, but it's a gift. Like, you kind of, he had all this money and he knew he wanted to put it in a spending bank. And my wife reminded him, she said, she said, remember what the tithing bank is? That's the first part of our money that goes to God. And like that reminder, like, you know, the explanation of what that weird word tithe, like six-year-old, I'm not sure he was quite locked in, and tithe. And once it was explained that, remember, our tithe is that first part of what we have that goes to God. And so Evan was like, oh, right, cool, yeah, no problem. And so he puts it in there. And I remember my mom sort of being like, like, I gave him that money so he could spend it. Like, so she was sort of, she was a little, I'm not saying she was upset that my son was learning how to tithe. Don't get me wrong. But she was like, I gave him that money to spend. And now he's, he's not getting, a, he's not going to spend all of it. But that moment of, of angst for my mom is like a moment of pride as a parent where you're like, my son is like, oh yeah, that's right. This part goes to God. You know, and it, it, at nine years old now, when he gets any kind of a cash gift, for, you know, whether it's birthday or, or Christmas or, or whatever, he knows where the money goes. He, he enjoys taking the money up to his room and, and he kind of dishes it out and, and he'll ask depending on the amount, like, okay, hold on a second, how much goes into the tithe and how much do I save and how much can I spend? And the funny thing is that no matter what amount he gets and no matter then how the percentages break out when you break out the 10 for, for tithing and we do 10 for saving too, then he always looks at the money that's in his spend pile and he's like, whoa, like I still have a ton of money. And I think that's because he's doing it in order, right? He's got an order of knowing that the first goes to God. And everything left then is just a total bonus. Um, I, I love it. I, you know, now that he's nine, he kind of has this, this reverence of what that tithe means. You know, he never argues, and he always gets excited to see what's left over. I think it's because of an order. And I, I think... You know, some of you, you might be thinking, man, it's, it would be a total stretch for me to get to that place. But I really believe that when we put God first, it'll totally change your life. And some of you might be saying, you know, Steve, okay, if I were to, to go and, and on a monthly basis to do my tithe before I even thought about paying any of my bills, before I thought about all the other responsibilities, I would have to like completely and utterly rearrange my life. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's the point. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about order. That's exactly what it would take, and that's the whole point of it, is to reorder our lives so that God is first. Now, you may not know this, but December in the church world 
is the largest giving month. So churches get the largest month of the year in the church in America is always December for giving. So, you know, a lot of that is because people, they sort of look back on the year. They look back on the way that, that God has blessed them. They look back on the, on the things that have been successful. They look at all the, you know, the money that they've earned and the expenses that they've had, and they think, okay, God, you know, at the end of the year, as we're getting toward Christmas, you know, I'm going to make a, a special gift over and above my normal tithe. And if, if you do that, thank you. It matters. It really matters. It, it, those, that kind of generosity allows the church to continue doing the work that the church does. But what if, instead of December being the biggest giving month, what if January was? What if when we started our year, and instead of looking back saying, well, here's all the ways that God has blessed me, and so now I'm going to make a gift at the end of the year, what if instead we looked at it at the beginning of the year, and we said, hey, you know what, before God does anything, I'm going to take the chance to, I'm going to take the time to order my life and just say, before God blesses me, before I see how he's going to work in my life and in my family and in my finances, I'm going to offer him a gift regardless of what happens. Because in the first of the year, I'm going to order my life in such a way that says, God, I love you and you're first. What, what I'm saying is that we just have to have the heart to say, God, you're first. Before you bless me, God, I'm going to worship you. It's what we do. What do you think happens when we put God first in that way? When we put God first, when we, when we put things in order, how do you think God then looks at us as his children? You know, I, I think that when we are ordering our life with God first, that, that it inclines God's heart to us. God looks at us and says, this is my child, and they're getting it. They're starting to understand. And so in the first day of the week, we seek him. I'm sorry, in the, in the first of the day, we seek him. On the first of the week, we worship him. The first of the month or whenever it is that you get paid and you do your budgeting, we're gonna offer and worship God a tithe. And lastly, on the first of the year, we're gonna offer God a fast. First of the year, we're gonna offer God a fast. You know, traditionally, fasting is, is sacrificing nutrition. You know, you, you deprive yourself of physical nutrition for the purpose of, of kind of diving deeper and, and pressing into to God's presence. You know, there's, there's different kinds of fasts. There's the liquid fast where all you drink is liquids, no food, no milkshakes don't count, okay? Um, there's the Daniel fast, which is really popular nowadays, where you kind of, just like Daniel in the Old Testament, all you eat during your fast would be fruits and vegetables. Um, I've actually done a media fast before for like 30 days, um, where you watch no TV, no movies, no radio, no internet surfing, um, none of that stuff. Media fast. There's, you know, with, with social media being so big, I've actually seen several people over the last, you know, few days as New Year rolled around. I had several people that said, hey, you know what? I'll see you in a month or I'll see you in two weeks. They were doing a social media fast. Um, people fast for all different kinds of reasons. And you know, sometimes it's because there's someone sick, and so they're, they're fasting because they're praying for healing. And sometimes they fast because they've got a big decision to make in life. And they just, like I said earlier, they just want to press into God a little bit more and, and to see God move in their life. And, and some people are, are fasting because they want to feel God's presence and to, to have his direction more clear in their life. And so, so they offer God a fast. I actually want to invite you and take an opportunity now to invite you to all fast um, our staff does a 21-day fast um, that starts on January 11th. 
and we'd love to invite you guys to join us from the 11th through the 17th. You can do 21 days if you want, but we're inviting everybody to join us on a, for a week of the fast. And you can, diff, like I said, there's different kinds of fasts, and, and some of the people on our staff will be doing um, different fasts like I've talked about. But all throughout Scripture, we see fasting, and there's even times in the Bible where we know of people who fasted for 40 days. Moses fasted for 40 days, receiving the Ten Commandments. Elijah um, fasted on the mountaintop. Um, as he encountered God. Jesus himself, as he's in the desert, being tempted by Satan, fasted for 40 days. Now, the first time that I fasted, um, I was actually in high school, and uh, my youth group did something called the 30-hour famine, where you, you fast for 30 hours, you don't eat for 30 hours, and, and it's an effort to raise money for world hunger. And as a teenage boy, I'm like, 30 hours? You've got to be kidding me. There's no way I can go 30 hours without eating. But so we came together as a youth group and we did this 30 hour fast and, and somehow or another I made it, like I actually did it. And, um, and so then at the, at the very end of this youth event, we, we broke our fast by sharing a meal together. And we shared a meal of like chicken noodle soup and pita bread. It was kind of the, you know, number one, we're just sort of trying to get your body rolling again with some food, but then also it's, you know, we're trying to raise money for hunger in a lot of places, even if they get meals provided, a lot of times they're not like, you know, real extravagant meals. And so that's how we ended our fast. But, you know, being the stupid teenagers that we were, we thought it'd be a great idea to, you know, after we ended the fast and we sort of cleaned up all the stuff, like an hour later, we all met at this huge, like, buffet restaurant, this all-you-can-eat buffet, and, and we just killed it. Okay, a couple things here. Number one, going to the all-you-can-eat, gorge yourself at the altar of gluttony, um, after a 30-hour fast is probably not the healthiest thing you could do for your body. But number two, I think it completely misses the point of the fast in the first place. So before I get into the why of fasting, let's first talk about um, the rule of fasting. So the, the first rule of fasting is that nobody talks about fasting, right? If you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so the first rule of fasting is no one talks about fasting. So if you're if you're at a restaurant and, and, and the waitress comes, a waiter comes and, and they're taking your order and they say, hey, what can I get you? You're not going to go, oh, I'm doing this Daniel fast, so I, like, just bring me whatever steamed vegetables you got. Like, no, you're going to say, I'd actually like a side salad. And they're going to say, on the side of what? And you're going to say, on the side of my water. But you're going to say it happily because we don't really want to go around like, oh, I'm doing this fast. And I remember when I did um, the media fast and and, and some of you guys, you might say, you know what, that'd be great for me. You know, so you get off social media, you get off the internet, you stop watching the, the news and TV for just a little bit, kind of reset your brain. And, and if you're doing something like that and someone says, hey, did you hear blank? You don't have to go, no, oh, I'm doing this stupid fast thing for my church. And like, I don't hear anything anymore. I have no idea what's going on in the world. I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose of the fast. We want to be joyful while we're fasting. It says this in Matthew 6. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is something that we want to offer God with joy. So I want to tell you that any time I've ever fasted, it has totally changed what's been going on in my life. Whether it was 30 hours for like a youth group event or whether it was a 30-day, it changes the way that I experience God and the way that I feel and, and, and can kind of connect with and lock into God moving in my life. Let me explain um, the fast in, 
in Scripture. This, is, um, this isn't Galatians 5, and it's actually, um, it's not, it's not a, a Scripture verse about fasting at all, but I think Paul describes it so well. He says in, in Galatians 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he says, I need you to walk by the Holy Spirit. He says, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. And he ends this verse by saying, for they're in conflict with each other. You know, some translations say that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. And I'm pretty confident that all of us know that like, the spirit and the flesh is different. What's our flesh? Our flesh is, is what our physical bodies want. It's what our sinful nature wants. But the spirit is the Holy Spirit within us. Both of them are hungry. If we continue to just feed the flesh and we give our body anything at once, that's what's going to grow. Whatever we feed will grow. But if we want to live a spirit-filled life, if we really want to, to live a spirit-filled life, anytime we deny the flesh and allow God's spirit to, to come and to be more active in our lives, then our intimacy with the Father grows. God's word means more in our life. We are able to worship him at a deeper level. Denying the flesh allows the spirit to move. So let me, let me close just with, with a clarification. I believe that God wants us to have a more faith-filled and spirit-filled life. But, but when we talk about this idea of us putting God first, God's already first. It's, it's not like the, we, we can't really put God first. He's always been first. Before the earth was created, God whispered it into existence. God was there before the creation. And, and before he created us in his own image, he was there. God existed even before sin entered the world. And even then he was scheming a way of redemption for us. He's always been there. He will always be first. It's just the nature of who God is. So what we're saying is it's not so much that we're putting him first, it's that we're recognizing that God already is first. And then when we recognize that he's first, we're gonna align every area of our life to that. When you do what Jesus says in Matthew 6, when, when we seek him first, when we place him first, the rest of our life will be filled with peace and clarity and provision and power. And God is then gonna use each and every one of you and all of us collectively to impact other people's lives. That's what happens with a group of people that place God where he already is first. Let's pray. God, I know that it's tough at times to, to place you where you belong, to recognize that you're already first. But this morning, God, I ask that you would be with those of us who are just experiencing the difficulty of, of one area or another of our lives putting you first. And I also know that there's other people that are here this morning that it's not just that we're having a hard time putting you first in a certain area, but maybe, maybe we aren't putting you first at all. And this, this morning is an opportunity for us to step out of the way, to stop being first ourselves and allow you to be first. And as we continue to pray this morning, Shayla's gonna just lead us in an opportunity to put you first.